0: Good morning. We are in our third, third week of the book of Ruth. We're in the second chapter, but we have seen some tough stuff. Naomi, uh, Ruth's mother-in-law has been through famine, there's been people who have died, and the first two weeks were challenging. This week, we start to see the tide turn a little bit. Things get a little better in this week, and we start to see God's love on display extravagantly and beautifully. One of the things that is important for us to think about is we all have things in our lives that that kind of happen. And we often will say, well, that was lucky, or that just sort of fell into place, when I think the Bible tells us a different message, that God is at work in the things that happen in and around us, and you're in this room, and God knew you were going to be here. God has been at work in your life in different ways. And when we look back on our lives, it's a lot more clear than in the moment that we're in right now, trying to think like, oh, well, how can I figure out what your plan is, God, or are you working? But sometimes when we look back, we can see God's fingerprints on our stories. You know, I'll just give you an example from my life when I was in high school trying to decide which college I was going to go to. If you knew high school Brandon, you would know high school Brandon didn't think two days in advance, much longer than like months or years. So I thought to myself, where should I go to college? One, who will accept me was the thought that I had. Two, my dad went to Adrian College. I'll go there. That was as deep as it went for me. So, hey, let's, let's check that out. I'll head to Adrian, and we'll figure that out. So I go to Adrian College. I become a bulldog. I'm there. And we're hanging out. So I'm there. I'm at Adrian College my freshman year, a couple months in. One of the guys who is in college with me, and don't miss the craziness of this statement, was reading the newspaper he was reading, a college kid was reading the new, a newspaper. And he saw an advertisement for Ogden Church. And they were meeting at the Croswell at the time. Some of us maybe remember this. And this church was meeting at the Croswell. And me and a group of my friends from Adrian College started going to Ogden. Through a newspaper, through a choice that I made. And here I got involved in ministry in the church. I started to serve with Young Life. I met my wife. And I look back and I think about all of the things that fell into place as a result of chance. Did it just happen? Or was God at work in all of those decisions to actually bring me to this place right now? You know, God is at work. And sometimes we choose to just see it as chance or something that just happened or, you know, well, that, again, was just a lucky roll of the dice. But God is showing us his love through the things that happen in our lives. And it's important that even if you don't believe in God, I think sometimes you can look back and say, wow, that's interesting how that worked. I wonder what was going on there. In the first few verses we see one of these situations that isn't just chance but is God at work. In chapter 2 in the first few verses this is what it says. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, of her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain that was left behind for anyone in behind anyone in whose eyes I may find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. Who was from the clan of Elimelech? So she, Ruth, is there in a new town. They don't have a way to feed themselves. And part of the Mosaic law was that the law of the Israelites was that they had to, when they went through the field, not go through it a second time or a third time and pick up everything. And they were supposed to leave the corners of the field unharvested for people that were in need for personal charity. They were like, look, God has blessed me. I'm going to leave some of it. And if people are in need, they can come into my field and take some to feed themselves. And Naomi says, Ruth, you you can go ahead. Go out and do a field. And she walks into a field. And as it happens, that field belongs to Boaz, one of her kinsmen redeemers. Another part of the Mosaic Law is that a relative could come alongside of a woman who lost her family and bring her into his family and care for her and protect her and help build the family name. But God was at work completely in this so powerfully that she ends up in Boaz's field. And now Ruth is going to be brought into the family line of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is born as a result of this relationship that's starting to happen between Ruth and Boaz. Like If you walked out into Adrian or into Blissfield, Marinci, some of the towns around here, there are fields everywhere. There are farming fields everywhere. You can walk into a field and have no clue who owns that field, who it belongs to. What like but Ruth is in a, a brand new place, but God knew where she was supposed to be. She walks into Boaz's field and her future is about to begin. God's love is on display in these things and maybe on display in your life having you in this room right now. God's love is on display in our passage in three ways. First, we see God's love on display through the provision that God gives that day for Ruth and Naomi. God's love is on display for through protection. He protects them from being taken advantage of or hurt or treated poorly. And God's love is on display through extravagance. We see God's extravagant love being on display in the lives of Ruth and Naomi in the way Boaz interacts with Ruth. Verses 4 through 7, our story continues. She's in Boaz's field. And just then, just then, Boaz arrives from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, The Lord be with you. And they respond, the Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does this young woman belong to? Ruth is out in the field and Boaz sees her. He's like, who who does she belong to? Whose family is she a part of? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite woman who came from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves Behind the harvesters. She came into the field, and she has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. She goes there, and Boaz sees her. And he inquires, he's like, who is this woman? And they sort of give the recap of what's taken place. She went to the workers and she said, can I go in the field and can I get some food so that I can feed my family? Is it okay with you if I work out there? And God provides for her, for her daily need. And some of the times in our lives, the little things that God provides for us, we often just overlook those things or we don't see them as that significant, But God is at work, like I would guess many of us woke up in a home that had a roof over it. And when the temperature dropped to 40 degrees last night, many of us probably didn't experience all of the harshness of the elements because of God's provision for us. You see, God provides in all sorts of awesome ways. He provides for Boaz, and Boaz sees God's provision, and he pays that forward. He allows God's provision for him to be provision for somebody else. He provides for somebody in need. When I was in college, like I said, I came to church here, and I know there are some college students in the crowd. So the story that I'm going to tell, don't think like, oh, well, that's awesome. I hope that that happens to me, right? So everybody's got different stories. It's cool. And so I came to college here, and I got close with a with family at the church, and they started to really be kind to me and let me come over for dinner. And the mother of this particular family actually started to do my laundry. Is that weird? Is that a weird, <laughs> is that a weird thing to say? So she would do my laundry and then she would return it to me with bags of candy in it. Like, wow, how wow. And somebody asked me once, they're like, "Really? Like, what do they get out of this relationship with you? Like they're just giving constantly to you." I said, "Well, well, I get my laundry done and they get to hang out with me, which <laughs> I don't in hindsight that that doesn't it didn't come out right. Um that's not what I should have said." And I remember just this family just helping to provide for me. And then I was offered an internship here at the church over the summer, and I didn't have a place to stay. And they said, you can live with us for the summer. You can stay with us. And actually, about a year ago, a little over a year now, a young girl who was in college that my wife and I had gotten to know and she had spent some time with, had an extra year in school, and she didn't know where she was going to stay, and she came to us, and we prayed about it, and we said, you know what, you can... You can stay with us. Why don't you live in our basement for a year? And it was interesting the way that we were able to say, look, God, you haven't just provided for me and let it stop with me. I say, God, I see your provision for me, and I'm going to allow that to flow through me to someone else in need. This is super important for us, something we see in Boaz, and he's described as a man of character, of good standing in the community. Actually, that phrase, it doesn't seem that significant, but this is the exact same phrase in Hebrew that's used to describe Gideon in the book of Judges. Now, Gideon was an incredible warrior who fought on behalf of God's people to deliver them. He's a hero of the faith. Gideon was incredible, and Boaz is described in the same way. And I think one of the messages for us is there's more than one way to be a hero in the kingdom of God. Sometimes we think, like, you need to do incredible things. I need to go be a missionary. And that's the call for some people, and that's beautiful for some people. But Boaz was a man who was faithful and made little good decision after little God-honoring decision after little God-honoring decision and said, look, God, I'm going to offer myself back to you and say, God, what I have is from you. You've provided for me, so I will allow that provision to flow through me. God's love Is on display. How has God provided for you? And have you allowed that provision, that blessing, to be a blessing also for someone else? You see, His love's on display through the provision, and His love is also on display through protection. And this is an incredible part of the passage how God's love goes through Boaz to Ruth. So he addresses her for the first time. He walks up to Ruth and he says, So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Do not go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get something to drink from the water jars the men have in the field. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother in in your home and you came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This is so incredible. He says, look, I know you're vulnerable, but in my field, no one's going to touch you. Nobody's going to do anything to you that they shouldn't. And I will make sure that you're protected. If you get thirsty, go get a drink. And she falls on her face and she's like, I can't believe that you would even look at me. I'm a foreigner. I'm a woman. You shouldn't even be talking to me. But yet you say, go to my field and I'll provide. I will protect you. I'll make sure that nothing happens to you. And she falls on her face and she says, how dear, How could you even notice me? And she's blown away and trying to give credit for him, to him. And then he says, but I've heard about the incredible things that you've done. He tries to give credit back to her. He says, but you did an incredible thing by coming and caring for your mother-in-law. But then he, he lands in the perfect place where he says, But it's God who provides for you. And he gives this beautiful image of a a mother bird with her babies and wrapping its wing around its child. So you're safe. You're safe with God. You're safe under the wing of Yahweh, the creator of everything. It's his protection that you really long and seek and will find here. You see, Boaz does this incredible thing where he takes responsibility, but he gives away credit. This is not likely in our culture. First of all, everybody passes the buck. It's always somebody else's fault, right? Have you ever tried to have, like, you've had a computer problem, and you try to call for help, and you're on the phone with the help line and they're like, well, no, no, no. Uh, you're like, it's under warranty. I, I, I bought this six months ago. Well, that's a software issue, sir. This is a software issue. It's like, okay, well, then I'll call the software company. You call them and they're like, uh, no, 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 no. It's a hardware. They're, everybody's passing the buck. It's nobody's fault. I wish I could help. It's nobody's fault. And he's frustrated. It's like, are you serious? Boaz steps towards this problem and he says, I'm going to take responsibility I'm going to help care for and provide, but I'm going to give away credit. I'm going to make sure that she knows that it's ultimately God who protects her. We long for somebody to take responsibility, to step up and say, look, this isn't anybody else's fault, it's mine. And I'm going to take ownership of this problem, but ultimately rely on God for strength and wisdom. As we see his love on display for this woman who is desperate for help, Boaz says, stay in my fields. And he protects somebody who at this time would have been extremely vulnerable. He steps into a place to protect someone who is in need. This is really important for us because we often pass the block and we say it's somebody else's responsibility. Somebody else should really do something about that. And God invites us to be a part of his redemptive plan by protecting and caring for those who are vulnerable in our society. Those who need help Christians should be the ones who step toward those situations and say, I want to be a part of the solution, but ultimately give credit to my God because he's the one who deserves the glory as his love is on display through provision for the day, through protection and through extravagance, as though this isn't enough, right? Like God has showed so much love to Ruth and Naomi. He's like, I love you. I'm going to provide for your daily needs. I'm going to provide for your protection. But then it just starts to overflow, and it gets amazing here in verses 13 through 16. May I continue, and this is Naomi speaking to Boaz. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. She said, you have put me at ease speaking kindly to your servants, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. She's lowering herself. She's bringing herself low. She's like, I know I don't deserve anything. I I, I don't, you know, I'm not owed anything from you. But at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. Have some bread and, and dip it in the wine and vinegar. She sat down with the harvesters, and he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted, and she had some left over. She couldn't even eat any more. She was all done. She was full. She had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some of the stalks for her. From the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Boaz invites her to sit down and eat with him. Now, this is a whole different experience in this culture. Meals were a big deal. And to sit down at somebody's table of that standing would have been shocking. Like, she's a foreign woman. It would have been unbelievable for her to go to the table with Boaz. And if you listen closely to what he does, he invites her to the table. And then it says that he's the one who served her. He serves her. And she says, how are you even noticing me? I'm the lowest of the low. I'm not even one of your servants, but you've invited me to your table. And she eats so much that she's full and there's some left over. God's love, his extravagant love continues to pour out. And she's like, I, I, I can't even eat all of this. This is unreal. When I was in Pittsburgh, I had a small group of guys that I had a co-leader that had just graduated with me. And these guys were seniors and we want to celebrate them graduating from high school. We were really excited about this. So we're like, hey, let's all go out to dinner. About 10 guys. And my co-leader, his parents owned a restaurant. And he's like, hey, why don't you guys, let's all go to my parents' restaurant. It'll be awesome. His parents' restaurant was called Off the Hook, which is great for a seafood place, right? Off the Hook. Great marketing. Well done. Because you got to take the fish off the hook and put it and then cook it. You probably understood all of those other things. But then we go to this restaurant. It's a really high-end seafood place, right? And each plate is over 20 bucks. And what I start to see is, like, there's 10 people there. And Tyler, the buddy who his parents own the place, he's just ordering everything. And I mean everything. All the things are coming to our table. They're on our table. We're just eating all of this stuff. In fact, his mom walks up at one point, and she's like, well, it looks like Tyler's been ordering for everyone. Uh... And I start to do the math in my head, and I'm like, whoa, oh, this bill is at least six, five, six hundred dollars And I'm thinking, who's going to pay for this? Is this a church card thing? Is this a personal card? I'm not sure. I'm stuck. What's going to happen? And his mom comes out, and she's like, hey, don't worry about it. It's free. And I was so full. I can I don't know if you've been this full. We walked out, and you think to yourself, "I'm never going to look at food again. I'm not going to touch food. It's no big. I'm never going to eat another thing in my life." And then, like, lunch rolls around the next day, and you're like, "You know, I could go for a burrito. I could, you know." I was so full, and we're sitting in the car, and you put your seatbelt on, and you're like, "Well, this feels like too restrictive." Oh man. And we had some some kids in the youth group that came from challenging places, and I'll never forget the one guy. See, he just said, "Some people go through their whole lives and they'll never have a meal like that, and we just got it for free." He was able to be amazed at this incredible gift, and yeah, it it was awesome. But you know what? The next day, I got hungry. And it's supposed to point us to these things in the world. They're supposed to point us to that nothing in this world is going to satisfy you. Nothing. It doesn't matter how nice your house is, your car is, your bank account looks. None of these things will be enough. They will always leave you empty and dry, hungering and thirsting for something else. Jesus actually said this in John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. And it says that Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will spring, become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, I'm going to give you water that will never run dry. And it's so much better than anything this world could provide or give you. Ruth has God's love just lavished on her and poured out on her. And some of us are thinking, like, how how could I have how could I have that? That sounds good. I want that. How can I, how can I get this lavished love of God on display in my life, in my heart? And honestly, the, the way that we need to do it is change our definition of what we think a blessing looks like. It's not always physical goods. It's not always a monetary blessing that we receive, but we can have peace, patience, love, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These things can come into our hearts and overflow in our lives, in our spirit, in our soul. You know, I I realize that, you know, as a pastor, you're never supposed to share that you had a hard day or things got difficult because people just think I float around. Right? Like, everything's good. Everything's wonderful in the world. And life is wonderful and fabulous. You know, but I, I had a rough day this past week. You know, I woke up, and it was Friday, and I don't know. just wasn't good. And I started feeling frustrated and discouraged, and I started to ask myself questions. Like, God, how, how in the world if I'm discouraged, are you going to continue to work or do something powerful here at this church because I'm struggling? Oh, even to say it, do you hear how selfish that sounds? How selfish it sounds to say, like, God, your work is dependent on my ability to do something? And let me just share with you, in that moment of discouragement, how God lavished his love out on me. He showed me his incredible love. You know, I, I had been going through a devotional that I, you know, I, I read the Bible on a consistent basis every day. I go through the one year Bible, but I, I pop in and out of other devotionals. And this one I hadn't read in a long time. And I opened it up to a page, and, and this is one of the quotes that I read. He said, It's, it's crucial to see that in all of this. God delivered Israel purely out of his love and mercy, not because of their worthiness. He's talking about Israel being delivered from the slavery with the Egyptians. God does the plagues. He lets the Israelites come out, and they're at the the Red Sea, and they're being pursued by the Egyptians. And and this guy's describing this situation. He says, as they saw Egypt approaching, they quaked with fear. They just saw God like do all these incredible plagues. They saw his power. But they see the Egyptian army coming, the strongest army in the world at that time, and and they're quaking with fear. And this is what they say. Is it not because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not... This, what we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. That's Exodus chapter 14. And then the author wrote just the sentence after. Israel was not delivered because of their great faith, but because of God's great love. You know, there are many of us that wonder, could God love somebody like me? I've made so many mistakes. I've talked to people that when I invite them to church, they'll, oh, I'll burst into flames if I walk in that place. It's not about you. It's not about what you have done or have not done. It's not about the sin that you have committed, because when we come to Jesus Christ, He goes to the cross perfectly and can wash us clean of our sin and invite us home. Not because of our great faith. Not because we had some incredible, we need some faith. We need to trust in God and submit our lives and ask for forgiveness. But because of his great love, what you have done will not hold God's love back from you. His love. His love is on display. And when I started to think about all of the mistakes I had made and the doubts that I had had and the struggles that I had been through in that day and just sort of bellyaching to myself, I read that and I think about how similar I am to the Egyptians. How I continue to turn and, and struggle. I read this last sentence, Israel was not delivered because of their great faith, but because of God's great love. It's so important for you to remember that once we come to Christ and we are forgiven, his blood is more powerful than your sin. This is what makes the gospel so beautiful. As Ruth lowers herself and says, I deserve nothing, and Boaz says, I'm going to lavish God's love upon you, and it's under his wing. That you are protected. You know, there's some things that are woefully lacking in our culture today, and love is one of them. But God's love is around you, His plan is working its way through your choices. And he is showing you more of who he is if we would open our eyes to see it. And, and I know like you're hearing, okay, well, I'm hearing about God's love, and but my life is tough right now. Think about Naomi and Ruth. They were destitute. They had no hope. They had nobody providing for them. And yet God still reached his hand down and said, you're mine. I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. And, and if you're somebody who maybe feels like you're far from God, maybe you don't fully buy into all of these things, I would simply ask for you to close your eyes and pray and say, God, show, show yourself to me. I want to see you. Show yourself to me. And then honestly, open yourself up to try to understand and look for the ways that God's putting his love on display in your life. God is at work and God's love is incredibly on display through how he provides through his provision, his protection and the extravagance of his love that we can see poured out on the cross for us in the blood of Jesus Christ let's pray and then we'll close God we lift this time to you God I pray that your love would be poured out on us, on your people, that we would not think that your work is dependent on our action, but we would so turn our lives over to you that we would start to see how, you, how much you love us, that we would understand how deep your love is for us even though we earned nothing, deserve nothing. You still provide, protect, and extravagantly show us how incredible you are. And God, I pray for those who may be struggling right now that they would find the freedom to lean back in the loving arms of a beautiful Savior. You are our only hope. Help us to recalibrate our hearts and turn our eyes to you. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Spend some time this week looking for how God's love is on display in your life. Have a great week. We'll see you again next Sunday. We hope you enjoyed this message from Ogden Church. We would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 10.30 a.m. If you would like any more information, you can find us on Facebook or at ogdenchurch.org.